Welcome to Talking Kotlin. On this episode, I'm sitting down with Dai and John from BBC Sport discussing their adoption and use of Kotlin at BBC. Hi, guys, and welcome to the show. Hi, how are you doing? So before we get started, do you want to introduce yourself uh, in turns? Dai, why don't you go first? Uh, yeah, I'm a senior app developer at BBC Sport, predominantly Android, although I do do a bit of iOS here and there. Yeah, my, my name's John. I'm a software engineer on BBC Sport app, obviously. Um, I primarily focus on um, Android, but I do a bit of iOS as well. Okay, and for our listeners, we, we do have to disclose that we actually are doing a second recording of this. This is uh, Di and John and Hadi take two, because take one, <laughs> um, let's just not name any names, but namely Hadi screwed up in terms of... Uh, <laughs> recording and uh so thank you once again for really taking the time and coming on it for the second time to to do this show so i appreciate it hopefully we'll do it better anyway. yeah no problem it's a great opportunity anyway so yeah. it's good to clear our side of using kotlin and the advantage of course to this is that the first time we did this show was before the whole google io right so you know it was kind of at the time, I can't remember exactly when we recorded it or whether I had insight or I didn't have insight. Uh, but it's always funny that, you know, obviously I have done some recordings that I knew what was going to happen. And when the when the topic of, you know, when is Google going to officially support this came up, I was just like, yeah, well, why do you care anyway? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so I, I can't remember. I think you guys were uh, early on. So um, anyway, but we know that now Google is officially supporting Kotlin, which is, I guess, makes it somewhat easier for people that uh, are hesitant to adopting it. But what I was, I mean, the main reason that I invited you guys over here to this show was to learn more about what you're doing with Kotlin at the BBC and how it came about and why did you adopt it and how it's going. So who wants to start? Uh, I guess I'll start because it kind of started with me yeah. in some ways. Um, I think about about two years ago, I started playing around with Kotlin um, just in my own personal projects, basically using Android applications. And at the time, I kind of picked it up and dropped it here and there. And then... A year ago, I started fully developing all my personal projects in Kotlin. And I actually I went to Australia and had built an app on, on the plane while I was there. And kind of on the way back, figured this we should really start using this in sports. So I think it was just after that, about a year ago, that I kind of got everyone together and started going through why we should use Kotlin and kind of comparing it to Swift, which I'd learned previously. So I found it easy to pick up because of learning Swift, I should probably mention. Um, so yeah, we kind of had a big discussion around using Kotlin in yeah. the app team. So yeah, it went pretty well as well. It was it was really well received amongst everyone because, you know, like Dai said, uh, we just started using Swift and we just started adopting Swift in the sport app. And um, yeah, it kind of gives sort of a kind of a similar sort of language experience. So it would sort of help others those who knew Swift because he easily adopts uh, Kotlin. And when you said that you were using it in your personal project style, was this namely Android applications or were you trying other things as well with it? This was, yeah, this was all Android applications at the, 
the time. I mean, now when I do personal projects, I actually, when I create back-end services, I also build them in Kotlin. I think John does the same yeah. or something. There's been a couple of things that we've made. Okay, and we can get into that. Uh, but right now, when it comes to Kotlin at the BBC, and in particular BBC Sport, uh, it is namely, mainly restricted to the Android application. Is that right? Yes, that's right. Yeah. Okay. And for those listeners that might not be familiar with BBC Sport, could you tell us a little bit about uh, BBC? Because it's not, I mean, everyone assumes that it's something to do with sports, but uh, if you could give some more details about that. John, so, yeah, so the BBC itself is obviously a huge organisation. Everyone, everyone knows about the BBC. Um, so we have many different apps. Um, we have Sport App News app. Uh, we have we have a popular app in in the UK called iPlayer, which you can stream, get all your content off on and stuff. Um, more about the actual Sport app. We're actually only a very small team. We're a team of six developers, two of which are graduates and one apprentice. Um, uh, yeah, so the, and the rest of it's made up of me, John, and James, who is also a senior on the team, mainly working in iOS. He is. The application itself is uh, what's kind of, I guess, known as a hybrid application to some extent. It is, we do obviously write using Kotlin and previously Java, but it's a web view that wraps the sport website with a, a few things slimmed down and changed slightly to just fit within the mobile context. And then we have several other features surrounding that, such as notifications for goal alerts uh, when you follow your favorite teams or anything like that. And we've also got personalization features such as MySport, which allows users to follow things like Manchester United or any of their favorite sports that they like, and they can get a personalized feed in the app. Yeah, and we do have a, quite a lot of users um, in, in the UK and worldwide. We have um, quite a few million users Nice. And when you mentioned that this is a hybrid app, what is the divide there? I mean, how much of it is native and, and the other part is essentially a wrapper around web pages? Yeah, so the the surrounding areas, I guess, in some ways, the main, the main window to looking at things like articles or indexes and such, which are just the, the lists of what the articles are for that particular sport or um, in topic of interest that's all within a web view so everything you can kind of see and click on in the main window most of the time is the web the web view the rest of it such as the menu and everything around that such as notifications when you open the notifications and manage notifications that's all done natively um there's a couple of other bits and pieces and features we have such as onboarding and extra bits and things like that but we we are actually looking at now optimizing the application further and exploring moving away from the web view so much because it it's got to a point where the application is quite popular and moving forward is getting slower because we're, we're trying to keep in line and trying to keep up to date with what changes that are going on the web and it's not working as well so to, and plus for users we're trying to optimize that and Kotlin is playing a big part in our refactor and our rework of all these features. But regarding the web, I mean, because I was thinking, you know, in a sense, it when you mentioned that it's slowing you down, it is obviously because, you know, everything that is designed for the web has also to be designed 
so that it adapts properly to a mobile layout, right? Uh, but this has to be done independently in any case because I'm assuming that, you know, is the BBC website like one of these many websites which can be quite annoying that when you you browse to it it says oh you will get a much better experience if you use our native application do, do you do that or do you actually have uh different layouts for different devices and views um so we don't i don't think in most places when you go to the website on the mobile view we don't say you can get a better experience. There is, there's one point in like uh, iOS. We've got we display a message to the user that says you can you can get the sport app in the App Store. I know we, we definitely do that. Yeah, we. Um, but yeah, no, we don't. We, we I think there's a there's a really a primary push to like for people to use the website. They've invested a lot of um, time and energy in, in making a, a really responsive website that fits, um, which is more you know it fits a, a majority of different devices. Um, but the kind of the way we're seeing it in, in, in the sport app now is we're trying to we're trying to a different approach. Uh, we're trying to cater for a more personalised and a better experience for the user, where they can come to the app, they can get what they need really quick, and um, they can get out of the app. Uh, the website's different, you know. If you want to get your head more into different uh, content and stuff like that, you can you can obviously that's the right place for that. Yeah, and as a user of an application that often is just basically a wrapper around the web, it can be quite annoying and limiting in what you know you can do. Especially some of them really handle badly the back button, and as soon as you click back, you're suddenly outside of the application. Uh, and I'm guessing—I mean, I'm not an Android expert, but I'm guessing that that's part of the whole, you know, story of using wrappers around websites. Yeah, you have you have to handle the. The web view back clicks and there's just think there's things around performance as well which is always a bit of a problem because when you're using a lot of web views or you are using web views you do have the usage on on the device is a lot higher mm. and a lot heavier than it would be if you were using uh, native views and layouts yeah. and everything else that goes with it so th there's benefits to using it and we're not going to go completely away from web views because they make sense for us in certain situations like showing articles but there is parts around navigation and extra pieces that we we would like to make uh, more native so we can give better performance to our users and allow better things like background caching and background download loading of stories and everything else we need to do. Yeah, that's kind of one of our primary concerns is, is just literally like, you know, like how, you know, heavyweight some of the pages are. We just we just want to offer like just a better experience for the users. And we are we are really pushing for that. And uh, we're starting to get a lot more people on board now. Now, one of the things that's made you adopt Kotlin, I assume, is, you know, you said that you used it in your own projects and you said, well, you know, we really got to switch to that. But what was the reason that made you feel like you have to switch to it? What, what were the attractive things about Kotlin for you? In the language features, in um is that what you're asking? Language features, or I mean, in general, you know, it, you know, it's it's it, like anything when you're adopting a new technology, it, it can't be on a whim, right? You you have to say, okay, well, I mean, a lot of times we do it because we want to learn, right? We use it as an excuse to learn. Whether that's right or wrong is is a completely different debate. But assuming that you did it because you thought that it added value, what were the things that for you? brought value, whether it was the tooling, whether it was the language itself, whether it was the libraries, what was it that attracted you to this idea? Yeah, so I think 
like like John mentioned as well, um, the Swift Kotlin comparison helped quite a bit because some people had learned to, like I'd learned Swift before mm. I learned Kotlin really, and I think James and John have both been yeah. learning Swift as well. So the comparison that we were going to move to Swift because obviously that at the time when Kotlin wasn't officially supported, Swift was going to be the new language for iOS and kind of is any new projects, I think, as soon are started in yeah. Swift. And because they were so similar around things like optionals and other language features like that, which we kind of thought it made sense for us to be able to, it's not just now sharing the actual problems. We can kind of talk and solve things technically at language levels as well to mm -hmm. some degree because they've got similar things that we can do. Like we can create extension functions when we need to for specific problems that we're, we're solving. And we can do that in both languages because they yeah. both support those features. There's, um, there's things, I mean, like the null safety optionals, it's just, it's always been a bit of a nightmare in Java and Android development. I think every Android developer out there has, has dealt with null pointer exceptions at every, every single turn in the development. And having the ability to keep um, have null safety within the language is is a great benefit for us because we can try we can make sure where we don't want things to be null we can stop that at compile time basically prevent that at compile time. Yeah, I think it kind of offered sort of a, a, a new like sort of fresh sort of outlook on, on the app itself. I mean, Java is a very verbose language. It's, it's a really good language, but it is very verbose. And it just, it just kind of, you know, at the same time, there was, dare I say, like it's sort of a little bit of jealousy that, you know, iOS had got this nice new language, which was really, uh, you know, readable and uh, just nice to work with in general. And I, I guess for me as well, that kind of sort of pushed me more into the direction of Kotlin. Obviously, Dai was making a lot of noise about it and saying how good it was. And um, yeah, just when I started playing with the languages, I just fell in love with it and I was like, yes, this is, this seems like a really good solution something that I really wanted and was hoping that we'd sort of adopt. I think there's there's a load of things around that were going on as well. Like the community was fully talking about it. I think it's been well talked about Jake Wharton's proposal on Project Kotlin within Square and how they should use it. I mean, that, that added more confidence to the ability to use it. And with it being a JVM language and actually being able to inspect what it does through IntelliJ, looking at bytecode and everything else, it kind of felt the confidence to just go ahead and, and start using this as well. It kind of felt, well, we know that if we really needed to, and it was really going to be a problem later on, we could move all this stuff back into Java. Not that we want to or would do that, but yeah. it, it's, it never really at the end of it, when we fully investigated and checked out everything, it just felt like a win-win. It felt like we were adding much better language features, much better support around the things we need to do in the application and the things we want to be able to do and extend it and create um, and easily work with things like lambdas and everything else with callbacks and stuff. It just felt like it was going to be a win-win for us. Yeah, I think that as well what made it easier as well to digest was the fact that it was interop interoperable with Java. So we could just, you know, we could straight away um, start developing certain features, say, in, in Kotlin and it would just work with Java. Have you had any points had to revert anything back to Java from what you've converted to Kotlin? Or, no. And never. what about saying, oh, well, I can't do this in Kotlin. Let me just resort to Java. Has that ever happened? 
Never. Never. It's probably been the other way. We can't do this in Java, so shall we refactor this into Kotlin? <laughs> I think I think any excuse we get to refactor a feature in, into Kotlin, we do. Uh, you know, we can, we try and account for that in the work we're doing in the tickets. We'll, we'll be thinking, right, we'll, we'll rewrite this feature in Kotlin anyway. Yeah, it's, it's adding the functional side of things as well, the, the functional uh, programming concepts we can add to the project and anything else we need to do. It, it's there's, there's so much. I think we could do a whole podcast on just talking about why we use Kotlin. <laughs> well, this is that podcast. <laughs> the reason I bring it up is because uh, one time I was I was showing Kotlin and I said, oh, and if you want to convert your uh, existing Java code to Kotlin, click on edit and convert file to Kotlin. And someone said, what about the other way around? And I said, well, you know, why would you want to do that? And they said, well, what if you stop supporting it? or what have you and I said well there isn't something right uh, but it does raise a question of whether anyone has actually ever done that I mean I, I've, ne I've definitely never come across uh, anyone and, and I've asked this question since then continuously so but I'm still curious if if there is at least you know and not in the sense of because we're not obviously we're not stopping to support it but maybe for some other reason there there is there are scenarios. Now, one of the things that I wanted to talk about is nullability, right? And you know, you mentioned, and many people mentioned that the fact that Kotlin doesn't have, uh, you know, nulls by default is is great and and leads to less potential runtime exceptions, etc. But this is putting into or taking into account the fact that you still heavily interoperate with Java, right? And obviously, Java can raise null exceptions or I mean null reference exceptions but do you think that Kotlin has made you think more about nulls given that it doesn't support nulls if that makes sense yeah def definitely and we we now try to I guess I know there's the annotations around non-null and I think which Kotlin looks at and works with when you are doing interop with Java but we we now kind of yeah we we think about whether something can be nullable more yeah. than because obviously in Java it, it can be nullable it's, there's no real thing about it even if you put an annotation on it it can be nullable at runtime it's more we we now think about it a lot more yeah definitely it's sort of like uh, you know the whole the fact that you have optionals it's a whole different uh, like sort of paradigm it's a different style of programming so you have got to think about the stuff that you do a little bit more and, you know you're starting to think about okay if something's optional like does it really necessarily have to be optional and then tracing sort of you know your code back um, and just just I think overall it kind of makes you think more and, and become like sort of a better developer what I mean the way that I I see it and I don't know if you if you share this thought uh, obviously if not please say so but the way I see it is that as a developer a lot of times we have this tendency of especially when working with languages that have nulls you know say I'm going to cover the happy path and I really won't think about the unhappy path and I'll only think about that unhappy path when I get a null reference exception at runtime or something, right? And and when I don't have nulls, I have to continuously think about the unhappy path as well. Like, what would I do if I don't have a proper record of a customer or of a 
order or whatever. Do you see what I'm saying? Like you, it always ends up having to properly handle at that point in time both cases. Whereas with a type that is nullable, it's very easy to say, if not, now do this and then forget about the else part, right? I don't know if, if you if if you found that experience or not. Um, I'm trying to think where we've had that scenario really where we've done some things around null checking in our. I mean, most of it comes from our network inside of so we're, we're checking nulls and yeah. working through it like that. that Whereas now, so we when we're doing our network requesting and we're getting. Well, we're trying to build it, but it's interesting, really. I think if we did a podcast on fragmented, like the fragmented podcast of the guys, Kaushik, and uh, I can't think of his name. I'm on a complete blank at the moment. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, yeah, we 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 listened to a, an interesting podcast actually. Uh, there was there was a gentleman from Square, and he was talking about um, you know uh, offensive programming. So often you have defensive programming. You, you know, you receive some some value. You check in the fact that it's null, and then you're handling that. Or there's been a case where you're just sticking an if check in there just for the sake of it, just so your application doesn't crash. And the guy was talking about like, well, we kind of handle things at Square where, you know, if something is null or if something's sort of an invalid state at the time of the program, they, they crash. They just they force the application to crash. And uh, Caltrick was uh, he mentioned he was saying, um, yeah, so like you know how 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 did sort of like you know your colleagues and stuff take you know sort of deal with this the fact that you're going to be getting receiving a lot of crashes um and it was like well what they do is they, they tend to sort of release it to a small percentage of people yet they do they might receive like a lot of crashes but then what they can do is they can make the program a little bit more resilient to those crashes and sort of like try and trace back bugs that they, they might not have known that they'd had or you know do you know what i mean yeah, and, and it goes back to the whole thing of reactive programming as opposed to defensive programming, right? I mean, one of the things that I've always found useful for code coverage isn't the fact of, oh, look, I've got 80% code coverage. It's about, oh, look, this is a part of code that has never been covered by my unit tests, right? And why hasn't it been covered? And is it not? Is it because it's an unhappy path? Is it because it's, you know something that I haven't actually taken account into my uh, logic or what have you, right? So it was more in line with that. Like, it doesn't make me think more about all cases as opposed to I'll only react to all cases if there is a potential issue. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I guess that's, that's kind of right. I think we'd probably be more on the offensive programming route where we would, we would just handle the happy path cases and then when we spot problems because we go to, with our android application especially we go to beta first and we tend to check test out new new features and new changes and i think quite rapidly so any new things we we add to the application we put straight out to beta so they, it's kind of it's a test bed for catching bugs and issues early as well as testing out new features yeah and one of the other things you mentioned was around functional programming and constructs. Do you feel that Kotlin has pushed you more towards this area? Uh, yeah. So yeah, we, we've been using um, some of the functional features of, of Kotlin. Um, we found it quite interesting. Again, it's kind of been a new sort of like shift in in how we used to work in. Uh, I know functional style programming was really popular back in the day, and kind of object orientated. It's been the thing of, of sort of now. Um, but yeah, I mean, since we've had the ability, it, a language that well that supports, you know, functional style programming, it's been really great. Um, 
one of the other good things as well about Kotlin is um, sort of we don't obviously we, we stuck on Android, you know, we stuck on an older version of Java. Uh, however, you know, Kotlin sort of allowed us to bring some of these sort of new features that are sort of sur surfacing in, in sort of like Java nine and stuff now. Yeah, and I think that obviously, you know, and this ties into the next question that that I'm going to ask you is you know now that there is official support for the language right for for those people that were waiting for official support to be there you know the showstopper is gone so they can adopt kotlin but there is still a good number and i'm guessing a very large number of people that are resilient to the idea of hey let me you know either start a new application using Kotlin. I'm guessing in that area, there's probably less, but the, you know, why should I now take my Java code base and convert it to Kotlin, right? And I'd like to ask you on two points regarding this. First one is, what strategy did you follow at the BBC to do this in terms of converting your code base to Kotlin? And the second one is, what would you say to convince and and I I don't I don't want to use convince in the wrong term but to encourage people to look at the benefits that Kotlin could provide them so our approach wasn't just um, completely change all our all our Java code into because you, you can just obviously convert we can just do command shift K and switch all to Kotlin that wasn't our, our approach and we didn't think it was the best way to do this so we started with a, sm a very small uh, feature at first. I know a, a lot of teams tend to do tests, and that's kind of that's great if, if you I guess you're just trying to learn the language and you want to write some tests, but you're never really going to get into the the core parts that make the language great or really start to use anything that you might need to real problems you need to solve within the application. So we started with a very small feature. I think in fact it was more just our about screen we used first. Mm. The kind of confidence had grown so quickly within our team that work had come up to redo our notifications uh, UI and everything around surrounding that because we were kind of trying to simplify the model that we use because our, our model for fetching data was quite overcomplicated. So mm. we wanted to simplify it and kind of flatten the data structure a bit. So we did that and we, we basically rewrote the whole feature within in Kotlin so it's what I'm saying really is any new features that have come up or anything that's new and big that we've needed to change drastically, we've kind of started again with Kotlin and thought about the problem uh, using Kotlin's um, idiomatic way of doing things rather than thinking, right, this is Java, we'll just convert that straight to Kotlin using the IDE and that's great, we'll run that and it's now Kotlin. It's kind of not been the approach we wanted to do because we've wanted to take advantage of writing Kotlin in the correct idiomatic way. Yeah, we're in quite a fortunate sort of situation because we're, we're, we're kind of in charge of our uh, our own stack. We're, we're allowed to, you know, if we wanted to like switch to a new language, we could easily convince sort of, you know, our tech lead, for example, that this might be the right approach to do. Um, we're quite trusted like that. So I think as well, when we did present it, we kind of presented it with, you know, a little bit of background, as Di mentioned earlier, um, Jake Wharton's proposal, he, he used that in the meeting. Um, 
and yeah it was it was kind of like sort of we were allowed to do like sort of a small feature but I think because we'd had like quite a lot of experience with it in our own applications at the point we was more confident in using the language so we kind of we, we kind of didn't really start discussing it with with our, our line manager saying oh tech lead sorry saying that you know we're going to go ahead and do this feature in Kotlin we just kind of we just did that and um, it, it never brought about any problems with us you know everyone just loved the language the learning curve especially was was you know, it wasn't it wasn't that high. I mean, you know, for example, there was a new graduate on our, our team at the time. Um, she'd uh, been introduced to Java at university. Uh, when she came, when she came in to work with us, we was already working with Kotlin at the time. She picked it up relatively quickly and um, started working with it confidently. And um, because you know the language was familiar with it, it's, you know, it's kind of, you know, it's it's similar to languages such as like you know Swift, uh, Java. It's simple, you know, sort of like it's got more or less a similar simple interface yeah what do you think has been probably the hardest thing for you to grasp in kotlin i mean or not not generally you guys but uh people coming to the team that haven't had the experience uh, i'm i'm guessing you, you you know you went through the same process but it's been some time now um i i would probably say because because with kotlin you can write much more concise code at times, you can, if you really want to, with the power of the language, you can you can get things down from like a few lines of Java or quite a few lines of Java to usually one line of Kotlin, and that that can sometimes be a bit of a bit of a head mess for some people just trying to see how that's changed from one line all the way down to uh, sorry from several lines of Java down to one single line. Cause yeah, you can because it it can be so concise, you can make it harder to read in cases yeah you if can, you don't so. you can definitely sacrifice the readability if, you know some of your code for example if you're trying to be smart with the, the you know the functional sort of side of kotlin um it, it can be sometimes hard to read like when when you're going through some of your work with like more younger members of the team they might easily get confused yeah and again it's a balance that you need to take into account right i mean one of the reasons that we created Kotlin was to not end up with code bases that would be very hard to read. Uh, and one of the th reasons of the pushback with something like Scala, because it's an extremely flexible language, right? So it would be a pity to end up in the same situation where you're essentially trying to be too clever in code and moving away from expressive and readable code. And what would you recommend? Or I mean, how would you, if you had the job of you know, someone that comes to you and you're in a conversation and, you know, they say, well, give me a reason why I should adopt Kotlin at my company. You know, I'm, I'm very happy with Android uh, being written in Java. My app doesn't have any issues. What would you say for them to adopt Kotlin? I would, I would kind of say like, yeah, you know, Java is a fantastic language. It's served, you know, it's been great over the many years it's been, it's been out. Um, Kotlin kind of gives you a little bit more of a, a fresh outlook and it it kind of I guess it brings you um, more up to date it sort of it is a very modern language you know again it's a different style of programming you know you've got your optionals you know which are great you probably get rid of some of your null pointer exceptions you could tell them that I think that would persuade them a little bit more um, but it, it kind of like with me it, it brought me um, it made me sort of fall in love again with Android development. There were some things that you was trying to do, and you'd be doing it in Java, like you know, reading a file, for example. And it's just, it's quite insane. It's just, it kind of just gives you that sort of fresh outlook. And 
yeah, I don't know. Yeah, as as well. Like even though things like Java nine and Java ten and stuff around, they're all they're all talked about and all these new features. The problem with Android is that's not the case. We can't just straight away adopt all these mm. new and great features that are in the later versions of Java. So you can you can use Kotlin and get fancy features and great things like lambdas and everything straight out of the box without having to worry about that. Even if you um even if you're targeting Java six. So it's it's kind of like like you're going to learn something new and if that is what motivates you as well to try something and kind of move on with your career and try something I don't, I'm, yeah you can you <laughs> can words. you can kind of as well uh, another good thing about it is you can you can you can make your code base much more readable and nicer to work with you know the power of extensions for example we, we've used them so much um, throughout our you know since we've started using Kotlin and, and certain things that you look at like they're just really expressive that the code sort of speaks to you. It's so readable and like, you know, it reads like a book. Well, it's been great having you guys on the show. Uh, we are running out of time, so it's time to wrap up. And once again, I would like to thank you for taking the time for the second time, taking the time to, to appear on the show. And thanks again. Cheers. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you.